Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, Gene Ginsberg here on another episode of Listen by Gene Ginsberg. And very excited, I have a very special guest, Brian Smelter. How are you, Brian? I am great, Gene. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you for being here. And I love jumping into uh, entrepreneurial journeys and talking about your background. So why don't we start there? Tell us about your background. Well, thanks for having me, Gene. I appreciate it. Um, uh, background, pretty diversified background, actually. I, I currently uh, head up a brand strategy firm, Liquid Mind, out here in Southern Cal. Prior to that, I've uh, been associated with several brands in executive level roles, some of those probably familiar with, some not. Um, and, and kind of what brought me to this entrepreneurial position I'm in again today is that uh, the different brands I've been with are also with a lot of different categories. You'll find a lot of people that have been in a singular category. For me, that was a little boring. I'm a little bit of a glutton for punishment, so I'm a business development guy at heart. Um, so prior to Liquid Mind, just to give you a quick snapshot, I was uh, GM and SVP at Zamps. It's a sports bracing and sport company. And based out of Tokyo, Japan, uh, built the North American market here. Prior to that, I was heading up the product and marketing at TaylorMade Adidas Golf, heading up the uh, soft goods and accessories side of their business as vice president. Prior to that, with K-Swiss, was the uh, senior director of their global apparel and accessories, which also included their licensing side of the business, which was quite interesting with, with K-Swiss as well, the Japanese licensee, which was very large for them. And then prior to that, I, I was at Oakley. I started a new division there, which was uh, athletic division, which at the time they didn't want to do, but now it's their number one segment of business. It's their team business. So they do MLB, NFL, all the, the different eyewear that you see on the sports segments. That's the, uh, the division I started with Oakley. And then prior to that, my um, entrepreneurial bug hit me and I started up Utopia Sport which was a better men's collection, kind of a mini Tommy Bahama type of line. And we actually did licensing with NCAA University. So that was uh, a business I had for 10 years and sold to a, to a PE firm. Oh, wow. So pretty broad and diversified. Yeah. Yeah. So that... it's uh, a lot of different areas that I jumped into. So I've got an eyewear for the rest of my life, footwear and apparel for the rest of my life. So it's uh, a good, a good that's... number of brands to At be with. At least you'll be closed, yeah. right? Well, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. a very diversified background, but also you have a thread, right? You have a thread of consumer goods and sports. I mean, that seems to be the thread that you mentioned the entire time you were talking about your background. So, um, Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a valuable, you know, I found it's really valuable to have been on the ground floor of building an entrepreneurial company. And, and I say ground floor, you know, there's a lot of uh, at risk with, with someone being called an entrepreneur, but really the risk is learning how to avoid it. And that's really what I had to do in the beginning of my company and, and really starting from the ground floor with nothing and building something that had value that I could sell. Right. And then being associated with brands inside of those brands doing business development. So it was really a common thread, like you said, with sporting goods, but also multiple categories of product, which are also valuable. 
Absolutely. So uh, right now you have a consulting company and you work with big brands. So how do you, how do you work with these big brands? Like what do you, how do you help them or how do you support them? Well, I found when I was at these brands, uh, I was always engaging for the most part. I always had product and marketing and design teams at these companies and I was in the business development side and I found that I would have to engage with agencies and my biggest frustration is what came to my mind when I built Liquid Mind is that there wasn't a lot of these agencies that had in the, what I call kind of in the belly experience of having been inside a brand and taking that experience into an agency and being able to help these companies from the inside out. And so that's how I built Liquid Mind was really an opportunity to work with these brands and knowing what they needed and, and knowing the weak points of the agencies that were actually engaging with them. And, and that's how Liquid Mind was built. And it's an opportunity with these, these big brands on a global level to help them. A lot of them have, as you know, Gene, a lot of these big brands, the bigger they are, the bigger the problem. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, we work with both startups and, and also well-established brands. And for us, it's a really dynamic uh, selection of accounts that we work with. Right. And so do you help with operations, marketing, sales, or all of the above? Kind of all of the above. We are kind of this virtual um, executive team that comes in and we're plug and play relative to what they need. So predominantly, you'll see us on, it depends on the stage that we engage with a brand or a company. If we come in on the startup phase, it's really a go-to-market strategy and plan that we put together. And we not only put it together, but we actually help them execute it on the functional side. So if it's an established brand that's either looking for market share growth, category growth, new product development, we help them with that as well in commercializing their products and defining the market and then actually building that market for them. So it's not, it's really relative to what they're looking for. So we do product marketing, go to market development, business plans and strategic business development for them relative to their specific needs. So it's relative to size, it's relative to functional area and support that they were looking for. Absolutely. Well, that's, that is something that big brands need all the time, right? Uh, like you said, the bigger the brand, the bigger yeah. the problem, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I like that statement. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, great. So uh, we, of course, have had uh, an interesting experience in 2020, and uh, we've been hit with the pandemic. So how has the COVID pandemic affected your business specifically or the brands that you work with or maybe it hasn't affected it at all which or maybe that you, you've seen you started to seen a growth spurt in your business as we've seen them with some so tell us about your experience yeah well i kind of call it a kind of an adapt or die syndrome that i deal with with these companies and i find that uh, either they're taking the shotgun approach or a real uh, rifle approach and i find the ones that at the very beginning of this pandemic kind of sat down, took a deep breath and saw what they needed to adjust and adapt in the marketplace they were currently in and, and how to maximize that opportunity are the ones that came out of it doing extremely well. And so the brands that we work with, the interesting kind of dichotomy that we're dealing with is in, in the companies that we engage with are the big ones that have an established market and move outside their core competency, trying to find an opportunity out what about outside of what their expertise is are the ones that are really being challenged right now. The ones that have a core expertise 
and find an opportunity and learn how to maximize that opportunity within this new environment we're in are the ones that are successful. And really it comes down to what do you do? What do you do that's better than anybody else? And what's your point of difference? And how do you maximize this in the new environment that we're in? And so for me, from our business standpoint, it really opened up a lot of opportunities for us because they were really looking for answers. And a lot of them didn't have answers, I'm sure you can appreciate. These uh, small and big companies, and you know, they're really challenged right now with trying to figure out what to, what to do next. And so for us, it was really kind of a case of sitting down with them and really defining where they're at today, what has changed for them, and then defining a new future for them. Because when we engage with them, the problem that we had was a lot of them were trying to do business the same way they'd done it pre-COVID. And they didn't really know how long it would last. And so we would come in and, and define an opportunity for them that would last beyond the COVID uh, pandemic and one that would allow them to gain market share and, and gain a competitive advantage against uh, who their competitors are. So it's been for us, for our business, it's been a real opportunity. And we've actually had to kind of be very selective on who we work with, fortunately. Right. And the big, the brands that you're currently working with, I mean, what kind of changes have they experienced? Are they going more online? Are they using more social media to combat the fact that everyone's now at home for the most part? Well, a couple of different levels. So we've got a couple of brands. For instance, we have uh, a pretty diversified portfolio of brands we work with as well. We actually work with a, a football helmet brand which actually went into PPE, believe it or not. Uh, we helped them set up a, what they call a medical PPE division mm-hmm. to maximize that opportunity and, and are doing very well with that. Even though it was outside of their core competency, we were able to commercialize product with them and bring that to market. So that's one, that's one that actually adapted to the environment and found an opportunity with a product line that was an extension of what they're currently doing within the environment of, of COVID and, and medical PPE. Others are really maximizing, as you said, Gene, with the DTC side of the business is where they see the real opportunity to maximize their growth. So when they look at building their business and gaining market share, it's really defining if they haven't been on the D2C side of the business, how do they maximize that opportunity? And, and a lot of the, the leverage points with that are defining their digital marketing strategy and, and how they engage with people online versus in store. Right. I mean, it's been such a crazy shift, right? Of course, a lot of brands have probably had a digital marketing strategy, uh, but now it's just like you have to you have to have one, right? There's no way to get around it anymore. And you have it has to be a big piece of the business now uh, because there's been just so many changes. So I can see that happening at small businesses. And it sounds like big brands as well that you're working with. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of changes going on. Um, So tell us about your current business, what are some of the new initiatives or projects that you're working on? This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Marketing Method Monthly Group Coaching Program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following, where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online, dmgroup.online. Well, a lot of our business right now with the clients that we work with are driven off of brand strategy. And you know, it's kind of an overriding theme for us is that uh, when I talk about 
plug and play, going inside of a business, defining where their opportunity is, how they're going to change the structure of their business. And if so, why are you doing that? A lot of times we go in and we ask, why are you doing this? You know, does it make you more competitive? Um, does it make you more attractive to people that want to work with you and or people that want to buy from you? So a lot of these things are going outside the scope of traditional functional areas. And they're asking the question, you know, what does our culture look like? You know, the culture has changed a lot. Right. And how people engage with uh, the day-to-day working within the side in, inside of the, the company itself and how to maximize that and be more efficient. So, so in addition to everything else that we've done, functional support and strategy support, we've had to help them functionally structure as a company that's now digital. And mm-hmm. that's been an interesting transition for big companies that uh, move much slower than the smaller guys. Uh, but the smaller guys are a lot more careful. They have to be, they can't make a mistake. As I said, it's a lot easier to run a billion dollar company than it is a million dollar company. Um, one, you can make a big mistake and you're still okay. Other, you can make a small mistake and you're not okay. Right. And so we have to be very cautious in how we work with them and ensuring that when we do plug something into their day-to-day business, that it's something they can tangibly see the ROI and how it's going to make them more competitive. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, a million dollar company versus a billion dollar company and making mistakes. But at the same time, a lot of times you see, especially now, really large companies, they move so slow that they can't get to the point where they made a big mistake and they're just like too slow to move on it. So I feel like a lot of times we've seen a lot of big businesses go out of out of business because of that reason, too. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been part of both. And it's interesting working with bigger companies where there's the structure internally just by design, isn't it meant to be efficient on decision making. And so when you look at the structure of companies, and by the time they have a great idea that's turned in and commercialized to a product, it's too late. You know, it's down in the late adopter stage of when they actually bring it to market. So there's a lot of innovation happening in the marketplace right now. And it's, it's, predominantly by the small and medium-sized companies. And then the inspiration for that then bleeds into bigger companies. Then by that time, it's too late. So um, those bigger companies that do have this, what I call innovation pipeline, are the ones that are succeeding. You know, you'll still look at Mm -hmm. the biggest company in the world, still has probably one of the best innovation pipelines in the world. Um, Apple still has that. Um, so there are still some saving graces out there, but there's very few of them. And like you said, Gene, it's very much so where these bigger ones move much slower and they continue to move slower. In the environment that we're in, the rapid pace of technological and investments and implementation, you, you, you just can't, you can't take that long to, yeah. to make a decision to bring it to market and, and be able to have a point of difference that's meaningful to people. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that happen in the last 20 years, right? Big, giant companies. Toys R Us, right? <laughs> like all yeah. of these giant companies yeah. that were just too, got too big and, and couldn't make the pivot, yeah. couldn't make that turn and eventually had to file yeah. for bankruptcy or even go out of business. I mean, I remember yeah. like the big brands of the 80s and the department stores. I mean, most of them are not even around anymore. When I was as a kid growing up, I yeah. remember them. So... <laughs> Yeah, and they they continue to fall to this day. Yeah, so it's it's crazy how 
yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. I do agree with you saying like how technology has been just, it's been rapid and it's been like so acceler accelerating so much um, in the last, I don't know, five years or so. And, and a lot of times uh, big brands just can't, they are just not designed for that kind of rapid change. And so I guess we'll see how that turns out over the next 10 years or so. Uh, so that, that would be interesting to see. Um, so I know we were talking offline before and you have a new book coming out. Is that right? Yes, I do. Um, as you can appreciate, Gene, it's taken a long time. It's my <laughs> first book. So it's called The Visionary Brand. And it's currently in development edit. And it's due for release in June. So I've got my uh, literary agent, a publisher, and final stage of development edit after many months of building the manuscript. So yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a, a labor of love, as you say. <laughs> yes, uh, I can totally relate. I, I published my book just yeah. three years ago, so I can understand that. And um, yeah, I, I, I have to say it's it was a challenge, but it was very much worthwhile and just a good experience. For me, it was a good experience. Um, so I'm sure you probably yeah. have felt the same way. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, yeah. definitely looking forward yeah. to getting my hands on your book whenever that's whenever yeah. it's out. So yeah. Awesome. And then I always ask one last question of my podcast guests, and this one's a little bit of a loaded question. And the question is, <laughs> what is your prediction for the industry? And that could be uh, interpreted in any number of ways. It could be specifically for your industry or, you know, sports or, or golf or whatnot, or it could be anything from terraforming Mars, uh, AI, self-driving cars, any of those, uh, you can feel free to take it as, as low or as high as you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's the transformation of the workplace. You know, when you look at the displacement, for me, when I look back on uh, the digital marketplace, let's say, and the changing landscape of what I was dealing with was the brick and mortar retail side of the industry and the consumer products with Adidas and Nike, you would walk in the store, you would purchase the product and you would have the old fashioned way of, of checking it out at retail. But now the control of the product is given back to the brand. And so I've seen the transformation and how the workplace happens, but also how brands interact with consumers and building these communities outside of a retail brick and mortar business. And so for me, that transformation will continue. And what will also continue is the extinction of retail. And for me, when I look at the brands, the more popular they become, the more market share they gain within a particular category, the more power they have to what I call live and breathe on their own versus being at a retailer. Right. And that still will breed some retail stores, but it's very much like the Lululemon model. And so you'll see where they'll control if they want to, have a retail experience, they want to be able to control that retail experience, not give it to somebody else. As a result of that, they increase their brand equity, increase margins where they increase D to C and they don't have to give that margin back to retailers. And that's an environment that's going to continue going forward. Yeah. So is your prediction then it's going to basically move to direct to consumer? Everything? It, it will be it will be a large portion of the revenue build because when you come up on the the whiteboard of these brands, which I've been inside the corridors of them, it's very much built around how do we continue to grow our D to C business? Because all you have to do is look at the numbers and the contribution and the investment and the build on the brand equity, and it's a no brainer for these brands to continue building that model 
And as a result, the retailer was always on the inside looking out. Now they're on the outside looking in at how to partner with brands versus brands partnering with them. So it's a very interesting dichotomy that's happening within the consumer product industry. And from that perspective, I can tell you that the brand experience seems to be better when you start having that experience given back to the brand versus giving it to the retailer. So, yeah, I think that will continue. I don't know the exact percentage. I don't mm -hmm. think there, I think there'll be continued consolidation in the retail uh, landscape and there'll be less retailers, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, just as I don't think it's a bad thing to have less fast food restaurants out there. So <laughs> it's a, a less smaller, smaller choice, but um, better experience if you've got a brand that you love. True. And where do you think, where you, do you see this now? Like, what do you think is the percentage of, let's say the brands that you work with that are direct to consumer as part of their business? Um, right now, it's, it used to be if you were getting 10 to 12% share on D2C, you were doing exceptionally well on your D2C channel with anywhere from um, 80 to 85% on retail distribution. Now what you're seeing is a doubling or even tripling of that number where you get somebody like Nike right now, it's at about 30% and Adidas is trending 25%. So you've got not only brands that are continuing to double their D2C business as a result and by default of what happened with the pandemic, but now they can see that the workplace itself can operate efficiently in that environment. And so that conversion continues to happen and the growth year over year, you're probably getting to look at 30 to 40% growth within these brands continue to reinvest in their brand and in their community and their growth on D2C. And also you're going to see the other thing you'll see, Gene, is, is these brand experiences where they'll have flagship stores where consumers mm -hmm. can still experience and touch and feel their brand, but they control it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that being the case too. They're going to create their own brand store basically. Yeah. Um, instead of having a retailer that carries theirs and a competitor's yeah. brand. So that is going to be an interesting new, um, I guess that's what's, I guess the retail whole retail space is probably going to change in that sense that like, we're still going to have shops, but they're not going to be like retail shops and more like direct to consumer brand shops. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and the other, the other, the other analogy to that gene too is Amazon. Look at Amazon. Right. They're actually with the buyout of, of Whole Foods, and they're actually doing. Um, you don't have to check out anymore. You just right. scan your product when you walk out the door. That's the experience that you're going to see. It's very much a little bit like um, the sharper image model, where they've got flagship product and. By the time you purchase it in store, it's going to be put on a drone and dropped on your front doorstep by the time you get home. I mean, it's smaller stores, better experience, and more engaging. And, and Amazon's kind of taken the lead on the, on the food and right. uh, side, but they're going to continue to expand upon that. And you'll see other retailers taking that same type of uh, approach to it. Sure, absolutely. Well, this is great. I've learned so much about you, what you're doing and direct to consumer by big brands. This is I love having these conversations because that's what we do also for our customers, uh, direct to consumer. So, last question is, how can our audiences get in touch with you? Well, uh, the the company, the brand I'm currently heading up is Liquid Mind. LiquidMindSite.com is uh, uh, LiquidMindSite.com, and that's how most of our uh, brands that we work with engage with us also through LinkedIn 
and uh, communicate with us uh, through that way as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. And um, yeah, we, we love, love talking about these kinds of topics. So thanks again. Well, I appreciate it, Gene. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking again soon.